Good morning, everybody. It is uh, Saturday morning, and uh, this is our podcast. I have quite a few questions this week. Excuse me, just having my coffee. Had a few questions this week, which is always good because it makes things a little more interesting. Just listen to me come up with stuff to talk about. Um, I'd much rather talk about things you guys are asking. So let's start. Uh, Ackman recently came out and said Trump needs to go bold on infrastructure spending. His argument makes sense given low interest rates. Also, it seems like HHC will benefit from infrastructure spending. Pelosi mentioned four stimulus, including infrastructure spending. Trump treated yes and wants to go bold. Any ideas you are looking at from the potential infrastructure stimulus? Looks like Saratage is super cheap and could benefit from infrastructure real estate spending by the government. So I don't know. I, don't, I, think, I, think, I think the REIT companies or the real estate companies will benefit sort of ancillarily from the stimulus. I don't see any direct stimulus going to them. But obviously if there's, you know... $500 billion sloshing around the economy for infrastructure spending. That's going to create jobs. Um, it's going to create travel, right? I mean, any large infrastructure project, the, the bids go out nationally for companies and architecture firms or whatever, and there's travel involved in that. And so this stimulates the hospitality industry that way. And, you know, obviously if more people have jobs, they're more likely to go shopping, they'll shop at malls or, or whatever. So... I don't see there being a direct, um, a direct impact to those companies, but I do see. I mean, Primoris is perfectly positioned. PRIM is per- perfectly positioned for an uptick in infrastructure spending. Right, they operate both in the private and public sector, private projects, public sector projects. So they're perfectly in tune for that. Any of the pipeline companies are infrastructure companies, right? Um, they uh, could benefit from more infrastructure spending. Um, any of the energy companies will benefit from infrastructure spending, even if it's just paving roads. You know, that's all petroleum products. So uh, there's lots of ways that uh, the portfolio can um, can benefit. And even the financials. I mean, even, you know, we're seeing the, you know, the PPE program, the banks are giving out loans that are guaranteed by the federal government, and they're getting paid to process these loans with stimulus checks. So that's an advantage, and I'm assuming... It's, you know, it's not too big of a jump to think that any infrastructure bill would be the same thing, that the banks would kind of dole the money out um, or act as a conduit to get the money out to these organizations. And they'll take they'll cut in the middle, and the government will guarantee the loans. So um, it's really no risk for the uh, financials. So I think those are, the, the in our portfolio, kind of the main uh, beneficiaries of something like that. Um, what do you think of BAC? Q1 book value surprisingly increased 2%, even as net income drops by 45%, comparing with Q1 2019. How about the possible loan loss, especially for oil and gas industry? Um, so I love Bank of America. Let's just get that out of the way. I still hold it, continue to hold it. Probably will hold it for a very long time. I think Brian Moynihan's a great CEO. Um sort of roundly dismissed when he took the job. Um, you know, he's not a flashy guy, you know, kind of really quiet, sort of unassuming. Um, and, uh, 
you know, if you walk by them in, in a grocery store, you wouldn't, you wouldn't give a second look at them. Um, so people kind of dismissed him when he took the job. And, you know, I think you could look at him and Jamie Dimon as probably the best bank CEOs in the business right now. So I like Bank of America a lot. Um, the loan loss issue is going to be difficult to, to really tell what's going on because it really depends on if there's any kind of guidance issued as far as how companies are s- supposed to account for some of these items and forbearance. You know, typical, under typical scenarios, uh, there'd be some write-downs involved, but I don't know if there will be now because basically the forbearance is because of the actions of the federal government. So will the <clears throat> FASB Financial Accounting Standards Board come out with some interim guidance uh, for the banks? But even if you know, even if they do, so this is this is so this is this is goes to more about thought process than anything else. Okay, so I love Bank of America. I plan on holding it for the next five, ten, fifteen years. You know, barring some material change, Moynihan decides to retire. The next year, that bring him is a schmuck. You know, there's lots of other reasons, but given what we know now, given the um, um, results of the bank now, I don't have any plan on selling it. So let's say, you know, if that's your mindset, then you should be hoping that Q2, they're forced to write down all these loans. You should be hoping that they're going to take massive write-downs and the stock's going to tank a little bit. Because what can you do? Right? The, a lot of these loans are in forbearance, so not being written off. We're not seeing mass bankruptcies, right? So if these loans are in forbearance and they get written off in Q1 or Q2, whatever, whenever they have to be written off, right? Because it's the COVID things kind of span two quarters. And kind of at the end of the first quarter, bring the second quarter. Then when they pay these, start repaying these loans again, they're going to be written back up. So if you get this big write-off in the stock tanks, well, then you can add more shares at a temporarily distressed price. And then when the loans start coming, they write them back up, and you know they report a huge loss in this quarter, and two quarters later they report a huge gain. Well, the stock goes back up, and you've, you've had a great buying opportunity. And if you're a long-term holder of a stock, Short-term issues like this are a huge benefit to you because they allow you to pick up additional shares of companies if you if if you wished you had more or if you wanted to add more at temporarily depressed prices that for the long-term holder just mean long-term gains on the road. I mean, really, are you? Does anyone remember what? Bank, so you know, so we we've, we've been in Bank of America since what two thousand ten two thousand eleven. Does anyone remember Q1 2017, what Bank of America stock did off the top of their head? No. What about Q3 2018? Does anyone remember what Bank of America stock did? Q2 2019, do you remember what it did? No, you don't remember. But when you get action like this and you're able to add shares of a good company at a very deeply discounted price, you do it. And then three years down the road, when people talk about the financial, the the COVID shutdown, you'll be able to say, oh, yeah, I bought more Bank of America then. Look where it is now. Da-da-da. I bought this then. Look where it is now. But quarterly price and, and six-month price fluctuations of stocks, 
they really only matter at that time. If you've held something for 10 years, I can guarantee you, you have no idea what the price was four years ago in any given quarter. Unless you're some type of savant that can remember these things. I certainly can. I don't know anyone else who can. So that's, it's, it's, it goes to, a, you know, if you have a longer-term outlook, if you're looking to sell Bank of America this year or we're thinking about selling it for whatever reason, yeah, that what's happening now is significant to you, right? But if you were planning on holding it for another four or five years, hell, it'd be a buyer right now. What do you think of TPL comparing with a net asset value of 1035 is a trade value can be way higher than this? Is the current stock price a steal of $500? I, I can't disagree with a single thing in that sentence. I think it's a steal of $500. I think when I, you know, obviously the um, conversion's going to be a little slower now because of COVID and Half the people who would be handling some places are probably not working, so that's going to be delayed a little bit. But yeah, it's a friggin' steal. Think about it. You have a, a high cash flow company with zero debt, a perfect balance sheet, very, very little capital requirements, sitting on an immensely valuable asset, oil and land. I mean, what's, what's not to like? Next question. Since financial sector, Russell 2000, and housing are so depressed now, what is your thoughts regarding FS, FAS, TNA, and NAIL? Well, these are good for trading. And I, you know, so, you know, as I said on the, the site this week, I picked up a little Yuko, which is two times bullish ETF and gas, and that's done really well. Um, you know, oil was not negatively priced. The actual, an actual barrel of oil was not negatively priced. It was, and I put that on the blog, it's, it was an odd phenomenon based on contracts closing. It was the contracts that were selling for these prices, not a barrel of oil kind of thing. You know, if you're going to use these, they're trading mechanisms, they're leveraged ETFs, you have to understand the risks. You know, a bullish ETF is not meant to be held, or these, these leveraged ETFs are not meant to be held long-term. They all have monthly decay. Um, so if the price stay, if the price of the market stays the same and they got to roll all these options and futures contracts they have every month, there's a cost there. So there's their K and the value. Go in there knowing that. Um... And in extreme volatile times, because a lot of them use options, um, the price will swing more than three times either direction. And if you're right, that's good. But if you're wrong, and it's a three times, you know, three times ETF in any given direction, and the market's, you know, going up four, up four percent, down four percent any given day, it will swing well outside those three X and four X bands. So you need to be prepared for that need to look out for that. And if you can't stomach that type of volatility, right, where if the market's down 4% and this thing swings, you know, not three times, but five times, down 20% in the day because of the timing of the option expirations and how much the market's swinging and what day it swings at, if that's something you can't handle or are going to panic on and sell on or whatever, um, then these kind of options, these kind of 
options or trading vehicles, I should say, not even investments, um, are something you should be really, really wary of. So um, that's you know, that's really all I can say about that. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't regularly use them. You know, if I do use them, it, you know, it's for a day trade, a week trade kind of thing. If you know, if the market just gets ridiculous as it did, um, you know, that's what you can look at. But you, you have to know the risks going in. You know, they're very illiquid, especially after hours. If you get news after hours and the markets go crazy or haywire, it's going to be rough. Well, I mean, if it goes against you, it's going to be rough. If it goes for you, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Should we be long USO? We, we are long oil. I mean, we're long oil to Chesapeake and we're long oil by shorting the DTO, which is the double bearish ETF. So... Um, you can pick your oil ETF that you want. Um, I like being short the DTO. I like being short. So if I'm long something and you're having this sort of market craziness, I don't necessarily love being long the leverage ETFs. I like being short them in the opposite direction. So if I'm bullish, I'd rather short a bearish ETF than be long a bullish ETF. And the reason for that is is a lot of these, uh, most, the vast majority, if not all, of these leverage ETF have structural flaws in them. If you read the prospectus, they'll tell you. And, um, you know, even, like I said before, even if the market stays flat, they go down. So you, you win two out of three ways, right? If the market stays flat, the value of the ETF disintegrates or um, deteriorates is a better word. Um and so you make a little bit of money that way because you're short it. Obviously, if it, you're right, you make money. If you're wrong, you lose. So two out of three, you do okay in. And, um, you know, like I said, they, like I said before, they will swing outside the bounds. And some of them have gotten in trouble. You know, there were some, some of the oil ones. Um, we're talking about splits and trying to shore it up because there were massive losses in it. Um, and I'd rather be short those type of things than long them um, because if you're short and something collapses, you win. Um, if you're long and it collapses, obviously you lose. So um, that's just how I look at it because I think they're highly risking things. So, Given the upcoming significant decline of GDP report and its disastrous unemployment data, more bad corporate earnings and mounting debt, do you think the bottom of the stock market has already passed? I'm, I'm really, I really don't do these kind of market calls. Um, here's what I think. When I was buying last month in March, and that was on the blog, and uh, the stocks that I was buying, um, those particular stocks I viewed, and remember, energy was down well in excess of the market, right? So if the market was down, I don't know, 25%. A lot of the energy names were down 50%. So those particular stocks, I don't know if the market had bottomed or not at that point, and that's not how I look at things. But I knew that buying Williams and Kinder Morgan at a 10 to 12% yield, you know, Kinder Morgan was down around 10 bucks, and, and Williams was cut in half also, um, that those were good investments, that those businesses were not going to be materially interrupted or see a material deterioration of results because of COVID. And Q1 results have proven that. Kinder Morgan's Q1 results are fine. They've done the prudent thing. 
you know, they're they're trimming back some expansion projects or whatever, but the existing business is doing just fine. You know, record volumes across their um, the natural gas volumes. William said the same thing, so it's not a company specific thing, it's an industry specific thing for the pipelines. Um, you know, Williams had volumes up year over year, Kinder Morgan had natural gas volumes up year over year, and the decline in results was obviously non cash write downs of stuff, which you know, the energy industry happens all the time and goes up and down. Um, so I looked at those specific stocks as, you know, I you know, I don't know if, you know, we bought Kinder Morgan in the ten eleven range. You know, I didn't know if it was gonna go down to eight or nine. If it did I would have bought more, but I knew a ten to eleven are just ridiculously cheap. You know, and the stocks rebounded, you know, forty, fifty percent in a few weeks from that. So and I hey, I'm perfectly happy holding that and you know, basically every share you bought, if you think about it, and this is how I think about this stuff, every share of Kinder Morgan I bought in that ten to eleven dollar range gave me a yield of basically, you know, ten percent for easy math. So I'm making ten percent on that cash growing every year. I you know what? If you can get that, grab it. And that to me that's the bottom line. If you can get ten percent on money every year, and that's what you'll get. Your dividend will be at least ten percent of that invested capital plus and more as it grows over the years. You know, if it's a buck fifty in a couple of years, you're making fourteen percent a year in that dividend on your invested capital. If you can do that as safe as you could do it, like with a name like that or Williams, I mean, what's the problem? So that's how I looked. I don't necessarily look at the market. And I, cause I don't, you know, honestly, and there's, there's countless studies in this. No one knows what the market's going to do, you know? And, you know, so do I think we've bottomed? I don't know. I don't know. Does it go back down again? I don't know. I really don't know. I think that um, with all the stimulus that's been pumped in the economy, with more is coming into the economy, um, I think the market, if I just look at market psychology, I think the market fell to levels it fell at because of fear and uncertainty. People panicked, as they always do, and there was mass selling. Well, we have a little bit of certainty now and a little bit of uh, security in that um, you know, we know, you know, $250 billion of stimulus just went into the economy. There's another almost $500 billion coming. Who knows what's coming behind that? But it's clear now the government is going to backstop or do what it can to backstop stuff. So we know there's money flowing into the economy. We know now certain states are starting to open up, right? Georgia opened up. Uh, around here, at least New Hampshire is talking about opening back up. Um, so, I mean, you know, you can't. You can't shut the economy down for very long before you start getting large civil unrest, right? Um, we've seen that domestic disputes and domestic calls from at police departments are skyrocketing right now, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't keep it locked down. So, you know, I think the market's sort of looking at, we have all the stimulus money coming. Interest rates are going to be around zero for a long time, right? That's, that's how it's going to work. And, you know, we have, we have, we've turned the corner in a lot of states, right? Hospitalizations are falling, deaths are falling, et cetera, et cetera. Some states are starting to open back up for business. So you can see sort of a light down the tunnel. So, you know, for that reason, I don't know that the market goes back to where it was before. It wouldn't, you know, 
Logically, it wouldn't. Of course, we know that the market's probably 60% logic and 40% emotion, so it very much could go back down that way again. Um, but I think as far as the outlook for things, I think it's a little clearer now, and I think that gives some valuations to the economy. We, you know, we're seeing some companies are reporting phenomenal numbers. And so not every company is suffering. Some companies are doing quite well in this. So, you know, there, there's always that too. So, yeah, maybe the, the market goes back down, but there's some stocks that are doing just great. So I, I get, that's how I look at it. I don't, I don't know about the bottoms of the market. I don't know where it's going to be. I look at individual stocks because I'm, I'm not buying the SPY ETF. I'm buying individual stocks in the market. And, yes, they are because of ETFs and index funds. They are generally reflected in the market. But there are, but I'm not, you know, the energy names we bought were down well in excess of the market, and they've recovered <clears throat> well in excess of the market over the last three or four weeks. A lot of the energy names were the ones that we bought anyway. Um, so, you know, that's how I look at it. The industries got hit most by COVID are restaurants, airlines, hotels, movie theaters, gyms, live sports, cruises, shipping companies, film production, automakers, airplane makers, okay. Um, what sector do you think will have the next big value play? Well, obviously, I think it's energy right now. Um, I don't wouldn't want to be in the restaurant space because it's huge winners and huge losers, and I don't like the restaurant space as an investment in general. It's very trendy and fickle, and there's always the new thing, and the old things go away, so I'm just not a fan of them. You know, we've talked about airlines, the travel industry, movie theaters, etc., um, I think it's, I think it's, I think energy is the big value play right now. It's come back a lot, but, you know, people are pricing a lot of the energy names as if oil is going to stay in, you know, the teens per barrel for eternity. And we both know that's not true. As things open up, demand's going to increase. Supply is being cut. So what happens? It's, it's, we've seen the story a thousand times, right? You see supply get cut, demand comes back, there's an imbalance, prices rise. So... Um, that's where I like it. Uh, you know, real estate, the REITs have gotten crushed as if no one's ever going to go to the mall again. So I think there's some value there. Um, people are going to go back to the mall. People are social people. Um, you know, again, it's not going to happen right away. It'll trickle in. They'll be wearing masks and the malls might be required to limit the number of people in the mall based on the square footage of the mall, right? You can only have 10 people for every 600 square feet or whatever the deal is. So they do the math and have, you know, people at the doors letting make sure they don't have more than next number of people in the mall at a time. Uh, that may be the same thing with restaurants and other public areas. So I don't like any of those stocks really because I don't know how the reopening is going to happen. And it could drag out results for a lot of these companies for some time. You know, it's not going to be a switch where, you know, you know, say for my state, Massachusetts has the, um, you know, they close everything till May 4th. If they open up May 4th, I'm, I'm pretty skeptical that you're going to be a, go into a movie theater and have it be full on May 5th. I'm pretty skeptical they're going to allow that type of concentration of people. You know, they may, you know, require, you know, specific seating. You know, if the movie theater has 100 seats for 100 people, they may only allow 50 or Thirty, so that there's number of seats between everyone, etc., etc. So you know we don't know what the rules are going to be. So 
for a lot of those companies, it's you know it's it's sort of tough. Um, BAC was hit by bad loans. We addressed that. Regarding Fannie and Freddie, do you think the pandemic will further delay their release? The recap plan might be postponed again since FHFA might want to do it only after the virus crisis fully runs its course, which takes at least two to three months, and assuming no resurgence next winter. In addition, given the current tumorous, great word, and highly uncertain market, the record break in secondary IPO might be pushed even further. Will these two companies keep current status for the three or four years? I don't think it's going to be that long. Again, I think that and this, I still maintain this no matter what happens with COVID, Calabria, Mnuchin need to do what they can do with Fannie and Freddie before the election so they can assure that no matter what happens with the election, that Fannie and Freddie are on an irreversible path to getting out of conservatorship. That's what they have to do. And they could do a lot of that administratively. Yes, it's delayed right now because they can't have meetings and things like that. But, you know, that stuff can be pumped into overdrive once the COVID crisis passes. Um, and things start opening back up. So is it delayed? Yeah, you know, Calabria's basically come out and said it's going to be a little bit delayed. But the flip side of that is, you know, I, I don't see it being delayed years. You know, maybe by another month or so, a couple months maybe. But I don't think years. Uh, what do you think the possibility of government's fourth COVID relief plan, including infrastructure plan? It seems like the Dems the White House like it, but Republicans cast out and wants to discuss about national debt first. If the infrastructure plan comes, what's the best idea do you have? So we kind of cover the infrastructure. Honestly, given what rates are, I would love to see the government with a 50-year bond or a 100-year bond and borrow a trillion bucks over 50 years and fix a lot of the infrastructure in our in our country with roads and bridges and shit like that. I mean, yes, it would add a lot to the, bet, the debt right now, but if you can borrow that much money at essentially zero or one or, or less, than the, less than the cost of inflation, and you can do it for 50 years, I mean, your actual cost of that is pretty slim. So, I mean, you know, and as far as the national debt goes, you know, as long as the dollar is a reserve currency, the national debt is, is what it is. I mean, I'm 52 years old, and I can remember back in the 80s when I was 12 and 13, people lamenting the national debt and how it was going to ruin our country. And we've probably had, you know, four of the most prosperous decades in history since those times. So, I mean... I'm having a hard time getting worried about it, uh, especially when we can, you know, obviously if rates were 15 16% like they were in the late 70s, early 80s, that's a different story. But, you know, you can borrow long for 2 3%. I mean, it, it's, not, it's not a crazy thing. Any 10-bag bag ideas like old time? Well, I mean, I mean, so, the, yeah, there's obviously things we have I think have tremendous upside down the road but you know you never know you know it, it's not something that uh, you go around and look for you, you mostly um, when you find the 10 baggers it's because you found them and held them for quite some time right um, 
that's typically the best way to have a 10-bagger, not the, um, hey, I'm going to invest in this today because there's some something going on right now that I think this is going to go up 10, you know, a thousand percent in six months sort of thing. Um, you know, that's, that's generally not how it works. Yes, you can hit those every now and then and there's special situations that come up, but let's be honest. Um, if it was that easy and, um, you know, I mean, if it was that easy to find 10 beggars all the time, then we'd all be doing this from our own islands. So, you know, most, most of your 10 baggers, I'd say, and by most, I mean 99%, um, are because you buy something cheap and hold it for a, a, a period of time. And the stock price and the, the business performance over time causes that initial mis misvaluation to catch up and then gives you those increased gains down the road. So that's where 99% of your, your 10 baggers come from. And, you know, you know, think about it. You know, we bought... We were buying Bank of America in the five seven dollar range. Do I think that? And over time, Bank of America hit fifty seventy bucks a share. Absolutely, I do. So that would be another ten bagger. But you know, they're not. You know, the GGP ten baggers where you find a mispriced bankruptcy situation in a once in a lifetime financial crisis and markets froze. You know, the a a economic collapses like two thousand eight two thousand nine don't come around very often and and. This is not that, right? We still have companies reporting increasing earnings. We still have companies reporting very strong results out there, um, which we did not have in 2008, 2009. And um, when we flip the switch and open back up, things are going to recover ra rather quickly. So this is not 2008, 2009, where we had a fundamental collapse of some sectors of the economy you know, we don't have banks going under. We don't have insurance companies going under right now. This is nothing compared to 2008, 2009. This is a temporary shutdown by the government because of the virus. The government can flip a switch, open things back up, and we go back to work. Um, very, very different than 08, 09. The government's ahead of this one um, in that they've, they've, they've had foreclosures. People are not losing their homes. So, I mean, it's, it's just very, very different. People, yes, people have lost their jobs, but they're being compensated for that. And when they open back up, a vast majority of people are going to be rehired. Right? These people were laid off so they could collect unemployment. You know, this is, a lot of these people are strategic, strategically unemployed. Right? There are a good number of people making more money in unemployment than they were making at their jobs. So this is strategic unemployment for companies and strategic unemployment for employees and the strategic loans for the for the companies too. So it, this is nothing, absolutely nothing compared to 0809. So going back to 10 bagger, 0809 created a lot of these opportunities. And that doesn't happen very often. So that makes those GGP type scenarios almost impossible to find. Number one. And number two, you know, it just you just it's investing in good buying a good company at a great price and letting the stock price appreciate over time and that's you know that's that's how you do it so um let me see i think yeah i think that's it so that's it for all the questions um you know i 
you know, it's been, it's been kind of slow posting, and, um, you know, there's just really not a ton of things to say. You know, I mean, when the earnings come out, of course, I'll comment on them, but, you know, other than rehash the latest COVID news every day, uh, you know, when there's not a lot going on with companies, then there's not much to say. So I don't want anyone to think that uh, I'm just not posting not to post, but, you know, uh, when something timely comes out, some of the, um, what do you call it, uh, rights plans that obviously we had this week, um, I'll comment on those and things like that. I do think we'll start opening up soon. I do think we'll start seeing... Um, um, we'll start seeing more commentary around that. Um, we'll start seeing more, you know, even even companies right now, they're, they're doing a lot of write-downs and they're conserving a lot of cash because they just don't know. So even the earnings calls we're seeing, there's incredible uncertainty and no one's making any predictions or anything like that because no one really knows what the hell's going on or when things are going to start to open back up. So um, even the early earnings calls are a little bit... Um, you know, lackluster for future, right? They're decent as far as how the companies are currently dealing with it and what their results have been to date. But as far as anything in the future, it's, it's a complete and utter guessing game. And I think everyone knows that. So, um, you know, it, you know. so I just don't want anyone thinking that I'm just not posting the post. But, you know, when obviously when things come on, I'll post about it. And the more questions, though, with the podcast, I can answer more of your specific thoughts there. Um, so, and again, any comments, whatever, just send me an email and, um, we'll take it from there. So I hope everyone has a, a great, safe, happy weekend. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, things start opening back up and we have a little more to talk about than this virus. Have a great weekend, everyone.